Hi, I'm Leanne. I'm a light worker and a mother to three special girls. I strive to continue learning, growing, and to collect new skills. I'm a psychic medium, Reiki master teacher, and a Kashuk record reader and energy healer. I am so excited to share what I've learned and what I'm going to learn and the ups and downs of life. Thank you for joining me on my journey. Welcome to Life of a Lightworker podcast. Hello and welcome. Today I talked to Anna Marie Green. She is the CEO and founder of You Got This Emotional Wellness. She has an amazing podcast called The Optimist Chronicles, and she's the creator of the Anxiety Languages. She is a clinical therapist, intuitive healer, anxiety expert and coach, an epileptic single mother, and an emotional cheerleader who helps people find direction, clarity, and healing by using their anxiety to create a life they love. Please join me as we get to know Anna Marie. I would love to get to know you a little bit more. Okay. Um, can you just tell me where you grew up? And Yes. Yes. So I grew up in central Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, which is the capital. Many people don't remember that. Um, in like a very typical suburban neighborhood. Um, and like their neighbors are like so scrunched together. And we lived in this really big subdivision. Um, and I grew up, I'm the oldest of five. And that for is like still a very big part of my identity. Like I am the oldest of five. And we were, we've always been this like village and clan where everyone kind of knows the greens and, um, and it, it, like that and growing up in that plate in, in that area really played a role into, to who I am because it was just a really nice place to grow up. And it taught me, I think how to slow down a little bit because it's this really cool combination of, it's not quite a city like they're Harris or Philadelphia and Lancaster are accessible, but it's not quite the middle of nowhere so you can still access like nature and kind of find yourself if that makes sense absolutely a little bit more of a smaller town you had tasted both worlds yes exactly exactly so yeah Uh, what was your favorite childhood memory the one that stands out to you as being not necessarily a moment that shaped you but when you think about it brings you a lot of joy So there are two that really come to mind for me. Um, The first was, so I was a person who like, I'm still a very Christmas person. Christmas energy is just my kind of energy. It's magical. It is like you focus on like the generosity and connecting to people and snow and all that kind of stuff. Um, When I was mm, seven or eight years old, I got this beautiful dollhouse and it was like an old school one. So it like opened up in the front and there were four stories and there was like an attic one that you would prop open and all like the details of the house, everything was, there were carpeting and tiles and it was um, decorated to kind of look like my, um, my home. There was like a Christmas tree and different, and the furniture was like real furniture. It wasn't the plastic Barbie stuff. It was wooden and the bathtub was like glass. It was beautiful. And it was just so magical. And I remember, cause I had asked for a dollhouse um, for Christmas and this surpassed all of what I could have imagined. And looking back now, you know, um, when I found out how much 
work my mom put into it. And Mm -hmm. that really has always stood out to me of just how magical, you know, um, my life was. And uh, yeah, because and that was, I think, the point where from until I was 13 or 14, when my mother had to tell me that, you know, Santa was not a thing. Um, I would, I would fight to the death. I was like, no, obviously it's magic. How could you not believe in magic? Look at this. Um, so that sticks out. And then we were always going to my mom's house or my mom's parents' house for just different things. I'm very close to my mom's side of the family. She's one of six. So we have a very big family (laughs) on that, on that side. And I was the first grandchild. Um, and so while my other, my aunts and uncles and my mom's the second oldest. So my aunts and uncles were like 18 and in their early twenties while I was growing up. And I remember going to my grandparents' house and we would always play these, they would always play card games with us. And all six of them were home. And we, my two siblings and I, my two brothers, um, at the time, and then I paired up with each of our like favorite, like of our aunts and uncles. Yes. And then, and we all played this card game, my mom included, and it was this new card game. They were like, let's try a different one. We always play goldfish or we, we always play go fish or we always play old maid. And this one had different rules. And so somebody was in charge of reading them, but then you saw, you watched the dynamic unfold where all of a sudden they didn't seem like these like very strict adults who like you were trying to connect with because you were kids and they were adults. All of a sudden everyone was like, no, Joe, that's not the rules. And like, they were so intense and they were like, no, they're and they forgot that we, the children were there. And so my brothers and I got up and like went in the kitchen and my grandmother made us like hot chocolate. And it was so fun to see that energy and to like be in that energy where it just felt like so loving and yeah. And I always think back to that. I'm like, that is the perfect example of the energy of my family, where it's just like childlike sometimes, mm-hmm. even though they don't want to admit that it is. So those are my two favorite. I love that. Like, it's like catching the adults in moments when they're kids. Yes. Yes. And yes. Yes. When I, when you were talking about the dollhouse, I kept thinking, it's like, well, that sounds like really handmade. Yes. It was. That seems like curated. Like you're finding all these little things to put in there, like to make it like custom. Yeah. Like that's a lot of work. Yes. And, it's my mom wants. Yeah. And that, and she let Santa take the credit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, my Santa, my parents didn't give us any gifts for Christmas growing up. Everything was from Santa. Wow. And yeah. And it wasn't until I was 13 or 14. And I was like, mom, you got to tell me the truth because I'm starting to fight with kids at school. <laughs> and she was like yeah no it's me and I I cried for days but yeah I never my mom and dad never took the credit um which is so yeah yeah so my wow that's child, amazing yeah yeah it's it like that's that's big on giving with, with yes. no no return yes no, yeah you don't even absolutely. get a thank you because yeah, it's not from absolutely. you yeah absolutely so it's it's a very big um yeah, it was just a, such a big part of my life that like believing in Santa and the magic and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's beautiful. She took so much to feed into the dream and the magic and keep it alive and just like stoke it and let it yes. be so magical for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. My mom, my mom is very cool. She has a lot of different layers, mm-hmm. but she is also very cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> don't we all? Don't yes, we exactly. All? <laughs> yes. Um, and going along the lines of your childhood memories, are those the same memories that you would say are your strongest memories or do you have different ones that you'd say stand out as being the yes. strongest? Um, I would say those are, are some of my strongest memories. I do have other ones that come up where like I just vivid, I do vividly remember. Um, I would say I have a very good memory for, for different things. Like I'm somebody who I can remember almost verbatim what somebody says to me this that one time and then describe the situation in which they said this one thing, um, which helps for therapy, but <laughs> for being a therapist. Um, but some of my strongest ones were even some of the moments where I just got to play by myself with my own toys. Um, but then my, so my aunt Jan, who's one of my mom's sisters, I would go on different adventures with her. And one of, she was um, a special education consultant or like she was head of the special education department for one of these school districts um, in Philly. And she was working on, I don't know if it was her master's or if she was working on some type of research project for the district. And she used me as a case study because I had a learning disability growing up. And I remember we, we read this story about mosquitoes, right? It was like one of those um, standardized test type of you know, prompts where you read it and it gave you some information and then you're supposed to test your critical thinking and how you understand the content. Um, and I was able to remember things like almost verbatim. Like I could like close my eyes and remember, okay, this came next and because of this. And it was the first time in my life, I think I was like nine or 10, um, that someone had called me smart. And my aunt Jan was like, you're really smart. She's like, you're very, very impressive. And it was the first time that I, that had ever happened because I, I've had been in special education since I was in kindergarten. And although my mom would say like, you're smart, it was, you have to work really hard to, to get mm -hmm. to those places. Like it's, it's, and my aunt Jan just was like, you're really like gifted. Like that's not everyone can do that. And that was the first time I ever saw myself as oh, I can do something well and it doesn't have to be like a struggle. Um, and so that's very vivid for me. And really any of the memories I have from, I went to an epilepsy camp growing up from ages like 12 to 20 <laughs> and uh, to where I was like also a counselor there. Um, and all of those memories are just very vivid for me because it was very um, like joy, like a joyful time. I loved camp. Camp was my favorite time of year besides Christmas. And like, so I have so many memories from there too. Oh, that's beautiful. Have you had epilepsy your whole life or did it start at a certain point? Yes. So it started when I was four. Okay. Um, so I've essentially had it my whole life. I don't remember a time not having epilepsy. And my parents said that I was singing the ABCs and then I stopped and they kind of knew what to look for because my dad had had epilepsy, just not as frequently as I do. Uh, growing up so they knew to go and get me tested for that mm. yeah. yeah so your so your seizures were kind of more subtle yeah oh yeah so my seizures are, I have absence seizures absence okay. seizures so most people especially now because my body and my brain has really adapted to having them most people won't even notice when I have one I just kind of sound confused or I sound like I might be thinking um, when I was younger, my eyes used to flutter or I used to completely like stop and go monotone. So if I was walking, I would stop. Um, now my body will just keep 
doing whatever it was doing, I just get confused afterwards. Cause it's like, I just miss a piece of time. Um, and yeah, so most people, it doesn't, I don't like convulse. I don't have the, uh, the clonic tonic, uh, or anything where I'm like really like moving or out of control of movement. It's just kind of like, I lose consciousness for a couple seconds. Okay. Yeah. I, I, well, my, my old coworker, she was mm-hmm. epileptic and I, I saw her have a seizure once and yeah. it was like jarring. You just don't know what to do. Yeah. When yeah, aware yeah. Of it. But like, I wasn't, I haven't looked into it enough to know that there's so many different types. Yes. So oh yeah. There's, yeah. Right. Yeah. It depends on where it is in your, like where the seizure originate, originates in your brain and all that kind of stuff. And everyone's can look very, very different. Oh, that's yeah. very interesting. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I love learning all the different medical things. It's very interesting to me. I love the brain. Mm. It's very cool. Me too. It's just a, a wonderful, cool place. It's, there's so much more we need to learn about it. Like Absolutely. It, it's amazing. Yeah. Were you intuitive when you were a child or is that something that you kind of grew into as you came to an adult or how did it start for you? So I actually think that my seizures were like one of the ways that it started, um, which I didn't realize until I was later. So it's kind of like looking back, I've always been very intuitive. Um, I always think that kids who are very imaginative and like can play on their own and make up stories are, are intuitive by nature. Like I just like, to me, that's your third eye doing its thing. Um, and I was always kind of like that. Like I could always play by myself and I could play by myself for hours, creating storylines. And my storylines were always so complex. Like this person, like there was this family drama and then there was this love story. It was literally like a show just with my dolls from a very young age. Um, but I do have this specific memory when my mom and I were filling out the application for uh, epilepsy camp, camp frog, um, it was my going to be my first year going and they have this like long list of questions and like medical stuff. And one of the questions was like, do you experience an aura? Um, and I was like, what's an aura? And my mom, it, it does mean something different medically. And now I know, but my mom must've like, kind of like brain farted for a second. And she was like, it's when you see like colors or shapes, or you see things when you have a seizure um, and kind of like, you know, oh, psychic, like you have, you see, you're experiencing something while you have a seizure. And I was like, oh yeah, I, that happens to me all the time. And my mom was like, what? No, you don't. Don't say that. Don't tell people that. And I was like, oh no, I don't. Okay. And then I kind of like silenced it for a while. Um, but when I was younger, I would like, I would have seizures and I would see different things or colors or shapes and that kind of stuff. And I've always been very, very connected to God. Like that's never been something that I have questioned um my faith and my connection has changed in the way of like growing up I grew up Catholic so there was a lot of like fear of God or like punishment versus reward um fearing darkness and all that kind of stuff and I always was very sensitive to energy so like if I felt that there was something off um I would be able to feel it and I wouldn't be able to sleep so then I would have to go into like deep prayer for like 15 minutes um to calm my myself down and to like feel better. Um, when one of the times when I was younger, uh, my uncle, one of my, um, my grandmother's brother, my uncle Tom had passed away and I was having a really hard time with it. It was the first death in the family I experienced. And I felt him and like Jesus sitting on the edge of my bed while I was crying. 
And I was very calmed by it, but I didn't tell anyone. I never wanted to tell anyone anything. Um, so I've always been intuitive and spiritual growing up. I just didn't have words for it. And I also thought it was wrong because I, I grew up Catholic. Um, but my really big shift was when I got pregnant and I had my daughter. Um, it just changed. Like it opened me up in all these different ways. And all of a sudden I was even open to hearing those kinds of things. Cause before that I was like, nah, I'm just Catholic and I'm just going to stick with the Catholic teachings. Um, but I, I have always, I have also always known something, some big major life change was coming before it's happened. So before I got pregnant with my daughter, I remember I was like coming home on a train from New York. I just spent some time with my friends. It was like a month and a half before I found out I, I was pregnant and I wasn't pregnant at the time, but I just felt like I was like this next, this new year, this next semester, like something major is going to happen. I thought it was like in regards to a job or like an internship. Cause I was, um, I was a junior in college and I just felt it. And I like felt the energy of it. And I was like, it's going to change my life. Like, I don't know what it is, but like, I, and I did think it was more career oriented. I had no idea it would be a pregnancy. Um, which yeah. And nice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then the next time that that happened was I was finishing my first year of grad school and it was like May, no, it was April, April, almost maybe May. And I was on the phone with one of my best friends and she, at this point, I was a little bit more open to spiritual stuff and just like the energy of stuff. And I was telling her, I was like, I don't know what it is. I was like, it feels like God's preparing me for something. I have no idea what it is. It feels like something hard is going to happen. Like something heavy, something that's going to be hard for me. And I'm being prepared for it right now. And at, again, at the time I thought it was more of like, cause I was going to be starting my law classes the next year, mm -hmm. um, for law school. And I was like, law it's gotta be law school. I was like, but I'm being prepared for it now. And, um, about a month and a half later, my partner died, uh, by suicide and, that was like the hardest thing that I had experienced next to becoming unsuspectedly pregnant. Oh my um, gosh. So those are the two moments where I look back and I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I felt the shift. Like I just felt things. Um, and yeah. And then from that point on, from his passing, it's been like rapid. I felt, I feel like rapid fire changes, just constant shifts. So yeah, I guess, I hope that they answered your question. <laughs> uh, was um, so did he pass when you were pregnant or after your daughter was after. born? My daughter was a year and a half when he oh. passed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so little. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, that was, that was hard. Um, there was, I mean, he, he had mental health stuff that was going on, but he never told me the depths of how bad it was and we weren't living together at the time. So there was another boundary in communication, but when a couple months after she was born, I like, I had some different concerns that I talked to him about, um, which is why he ended up moving back closer to his family, um, just to have so that extra layer of support. And I remember being like, you have to promise me that you will never like hurt yourself. You can't leave me alone to parent. And so that was the hardest thing. Like to, I, I mean, what the whole thing was hard, but I was really yes. like, he promised. Yeah. That's yeah. heartbreaking. And like, you can see it from both sides, but mm -hmm. it doesn't stop you from feeling it yourself. Yeah. You're like, I am now, there's no 
there's no backup parent. Yes. Yes. And that is, um, that's hard. Like it's, it's not because at the time he, he helped where he could, but we were both, I mean, we were both kids. Like I was 21 when I found out I was pregnant and like, um, so we were both trying to figure all of our crap out. And, but the hardest part was like not having someone that I can just like talk to about stuff that was, that gets it because they're the other parent. Um, like when you talk to friends and stuff, like it's helpful, but they're still not the parent, you know what I mean? So it's just, it was a layer of loneliness that I wasn't fully prepared for. So a friend isn't as invested and as in it, they're not as in love with your kid as they are. Like yeah, it's just, it's just different. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a really big, um, a really big thing and shift that threw me into spiritual stuff. I even, I went to this group reading for this medium that I had liked. I like, I liked, I liked listening to mediums do readings and I, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this group, um, reading and, you know, they don't get to read everyone, but I was like, I think she's going to read me. Like, I was just like, I just, it had been a couple months since he had passed. And I was like, okay, like this is going to be, I, I just have a feeling. And, and I did like, she did come through. Um, and it was really, it's really funny because this is kind of, I guess how I started, I should have known that I was going to get into therapy work. Um, one of the things that she said that he was helping me with was like, she's like, are you like a nurse or a counselor or like you work in healthcare, like helping people? She's like, I, I'm being shown like service hands. And I was like, oh, I mean, I'm studying social work, but no, I'm not doing that. That's not what I do. Like I was still very much in this. I will never be a therapist. I will never be a counselor. I don't, that's not what I wanted. That's not how I'm going to provide for my family. And I remember being just like, no, like, and I don't want your help, Brian. Like I was very I was still struggling with the anger of it. Um, so yeah, it was just a really big shift that just continued to pick up pace um, until where, where I am now. Snowballed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So. Is this something like, does he come to you in dreams at all? Or do you connect with him at all? Or is it just um, keep that kind of separate? No, he doesn't come to me a bunch. Um, when he first passed, um, and I was very, very like desperate to, co- to connect with him. He came to me in a dream once and it was like, we were on this bridge and he was very far off. And then like, I was able to zoom in and I kind of got the message that like, he can't connect with me first of all, because of the way that he passed, but also because my soul needs the space. Like that if I keep doing that, I will live in that realm and I won't be grounded. Um, but like, kind of like the, at this point we're so far away because also I'm far away from that, like meeting him again in that next place. Like I have so much life that I'm still going to live. Um, and so that was one of the only times, um, I, I think maybe there were like one or two other times he maybe came to me in a dream. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't connect with him too often. When I was first doing soul teacher and we journeyed up to the Akashic records in the upper realm, whenever I go to the upper realm, I can feel him. And I know that he's there and he knows that I'm there. 
but we never like cross paths. And I, it's not something, I think it's one of those things where if I am given that, that I want to stay. And so it was really funny. Um, whenever I would go up there and we would go to the Akashic records or we would go, um, me and, and this group of girls from our, from our, my class, we did a little Halloween thing where we went up to the upper realm and we did a little like cleansing soul sister, soul circle, and, um, like connect, helped connect to past loved ones for other people. Mm-hmm. And he just like left me flowers, like in different places, like my favorite flowers. And I knew they were from him. I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> like, I'm not mad. Um, but yeah, so we don't, I don't get to connect with him too much, but I also know that he's there and I know he's kind of in the background. Yeah. Not too far away, just yes. not an active participant because yes. yes. it's your journey. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that yes. makes complete sense. Yeah. When did you start feeling anxiety? And then when did you along your path, I'm assuming it was during school or shortly after that you started seeing anxiety a little bit differently than the typical person. So I didn't, growing up, I actually never thought I had anxiety. I was like, I'm not somebody who gets anxious. I was also the type of person who's like, I don't really like get emotional. I'm not one of those emotional girls. Like, am I, (laughs) I was very proud about that. And, um, it wasn't until 2020 when I had a whole existential crisis and an identity, like, who am I? What do I want? What is like happening? Um, where I could not find a job and I just moved to Michigan and I could not find a job in in the field I wanted, which I wanted to be in corporate. And I wanted to, um, like, you know, six figures. I had all these plans for, and I, and I felt like it was possible because with my work ethic and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I could not find one like the, I, we had also just moved there and the pandemic hit. So like there was that, but I could, I, I sent out hundreds of applications and that had never happened to me before. Like if there was one thing that I grew up, like my talent, like all my siblings were really good at sports and I was not naturally as gifted as them. But the one thing I had was like, I worked really hard. I would have three jobs at a time. And um, I got every single job I ever applied to. And this was the first time that this is ever, that that had ever happened. And I ended up, the job that ended up being offered to me was a therapist. Like I had applied for a different job. And then the person was like, I actually think you'd be a really great therapist. And you have the, I had the education to be, assert like to be certified as a clinical therapist. Like I had had my master's in social work. I had my undergraduate in social work and I was like, okay, but this is not going to be for long. Like, this is not where I want to be. Um, so, but it, it was during that time where I really broke down. Like I would cry every single day. Um, and I would wake up feeling sick to my stomach and loathing myself and feeling like a complete failure and feeling like, like my family is better off without me or my daughter, like, but also being like, but I can't leave her. Like, it was just where I kind of wished that I was not here, but not a, I'm at risk of hurting myself. It was just like, I don't know what to do. I feel stuck. And my daughter uh, wasn't actually living with me at the time because she stayed in Harrisburg until I got myself settled mm-hmm. out here. Um, and she was going to supposed to move up like a couple months later, but then with not being able to like find a job that worked and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
it took a lot longer. So I was separated from my daughter and I felt guilty about that. And I felt just like, like everything just came funneling forward. All of the grief that I didn't deal with because I went back to grad school to finish out that semester. And I ended up not doing law school um, uh, because I didn't want to waste, I did felt like I didn't want to waste time. I wanted to start working. Um, it came funneling forward. And then I got I started therapy myself, but I was also like, oh, I'm actually a really anxious person. <laughs> like I was like connecting with what anxiety looked like besides just the typical like panic attacks. At that point I was having panic attacks, but in general, I was this very anxious person. And once, once I started to become a therapist and every single client was struggling with like major anxiety. And at one point I sat down and I was like, anxiety is not what we think it is. Like, I was like, I just have this feeling. I was like, we're looking at this wrong. Like we're looking at anxiety as this thing that we need to like fix and get rid of and disconnect from. And I started to slowly reframe even how I saw emotions, because for me, the only way to get to this next level, the only way for me to, to feel not so crushingly heavy on an emotional mental load was to feel my feelings. And so the reframe was all feelings are meant to be felt and anxiety is the same. And so I really, once I started to become a therapist was when I started to reframe anxiety and understand it on a different level um, and working with clients and figuring out what was working best and putting together the things that I was seeing around me with friends and family, with my clients, like, oh, they have this common behavior. And this is like, they also have a common like root cause. And that was how I was able to like create the anxiety languages. Um, and then I would say, even more so at the same time, I was starting to increase, I guess, the, what I was learning about spiritual stuff. And I started taking some of uh, Nikki Nova's courses and, and then it was like, anxiety was speaking to me more and more. And I was like, oh, the reason I didn't even know I was anxious is because my language, like it's socially acceptable. So I'm overachiever. So when I feel unsafe and I start to have anxiety, my anxiety speaks by like, my behavior turns into, okay, what am I doing today? Oh, what, how much, how much am I producing? How much am I hustling and grinding and grinding? Like, oh, I'll just, I can stay up an hour later because then I'll finish this thing. And it's focusing on this, like doing, 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 and at the detriment of like my physical needs or any, like anything else. Um, so that's really the journey into understanding anxiety. Um, and then, I mean, I, all of my clients and I was seeing 35 to 40 clients a week, the first six months to a year, um, which is like a lot, right? Great. <laughs> a Great. Lot. Yeah. And every single person had almost debilitating anxiety. Um, and I noticed that when I would talk to my colleagues or I would talk to other people in the field, everyone else is like, oh yeah, that'll take like a year to two years for them to find like relief and for things to work and to start just having this like baseline of being okay and not totally falling apart. But I was finding that what I was doing and understanding anxiety from this way, my clients were like done, not needing to meet every week at like three months. Um, and so I just realized I was like, there's something here that I'm for whatever reason, able to tap into that other people aren't seeing. And in the last six months, especially, um, and you know, for especially since I've done Soul Teacher, I now understand anxiety on this on this um, energetic level that helps me communicate what I was already 
starting to understand from what I was seeing with clients, what I was seeing with myself and other people. So it's more of like an evolution. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's been like a build, but it's just, everything Mm -hmm. happened so fast. And I felt like that's always how my life is. So it's just like one domino falls and then it's like, okay, we're going to like fast track. (laughs) So when you were learning more about spirituality, when you're taking the course and then you're doing your regular therapy sessions, were you just trying to tap, would you just automatically tap in and get more insight or was it more of, um, purposeful or it was not purposeful. So I mean, yes and no. So when we were doing the readings and we were talking about energy, I was like, everything's energy. And I'd already kind of understood that emotion, like I'd already before taking soul teacher, understand that emotions are just the language of the soul. It's how our soul physically experiences things on earth. So it's almost like, you know, our eyes see things, but it helps, like it also can see things in color instead of black and white. And so emotions are kind of like coloring what life looks like to the soul. Um, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then when I was in soul teacher, I was really focused on like, I'm just going to be curious because I entered soul teacher and I was like, I don't even know why I'm here because I'm never going to do readings. Like, I don't want to do that for you know, people for professionally, like I'm just, of whatever reason I felt called and I was trying to honor, you know, what I felt called to do. And one day I remember I sat down and I was like, you know what, I'm kind of curious what like emotions have to say on an energetic level. And so I sat down and I grabbed my notebook and I started just to connect with different emotions. I could see them as this like glowing ball of, of energy, different colors and um, allow them to like connect with me so I can feel what they feel like. And then I can kind of conversate with them, understand why they show up. And that helped me redefine sadness, which I um, struggled with. So instead of seeing sadness as just this thing that's annoying that happens when you, you don't like something or it's like hard, you know, nobody really talks about sadness except for like, when you feel it, it kind of sucks. But sadness is the soul adjusting to physical changes and it's actually asking for community. And that changed a lot for me, even how I showed up for my daughter when she was sad, I would focus on just connecting to her as opposed to like trying to get her to not be sad or trying to get her to push, not push through it, but like, okay, let's process this as fast as possible. Um, and instead just like hugging her and being like, I understand. Um, and not problem solving as much. Um, and it also helped me understand anger and fear. And then when I was doing readings for other people in soul teacher, the two things that would come up were like, yes, I, uh, the first thing that actually came up was like their businesses. A lot of people were asking about like business and like jobs. And so that would come up, but there was always this layer of emotional work that I would pick up on. I would always pick up on any anxiety and I had no idea how I was going to integrate both, like integrate my therapeutic experience and practice with my energetic stuff, because I was like, oh, people who are just focused on therapy aren't going to really like be into this other side of things. And I was very nervous and anxious where I actually fought the anxiety readings. Like Nikki was like, you can combine this. And I was like, no, no, I don't think that this will work. And even though I was basically already doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I let myself go there, it just like clicked. I was like, oh, this is like how I'm supposed to be doing this. Like it makes so much more sense um, because I already was kind of doing that even when clients were coming in and it wasn't like an energetic reading, it was just like a therapy session. I'm able to pick up on stuff and explain things 
and re, like un, almost explain the root cause for them just based off of what they said, but it's also like intuitive downloads. So yeah, it was, it was something purposeful. Like I, well, I was curious about it. It was something I went into with curiosity and then stumbled upon it, but I definitely fought it. And that is a big thing in my life where like the, the direction I'm supposed to be going or the change, I fight it. Like, I'm like, no, I won't be doing that. <laughs> but oh, just kind of when you're a kid, you were told yeah. that you had to work hard. Yeah. And yes. then your aunt told you, you're really smart. You're really good at this. Some things yeah. can be easy, mm-hmm. but you're still like, it has to be hard, but yeah. you know, yeah. when your soul, when you have the soul knowing, when the soul tells you, this is what you're supposed to do, it yeah. ends up being easy. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really have, I'm trying to get into the energy of like letting my, my soul and my, even like my gut instinct drive me because the times where I've really fought it, I, I always end up do end up in the, in the soul place, but just like the long way around, that's usually mm-hmm. like a little bit more painful and a little bit more messy. Yeah. Um, even like moving the windy path. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I do, I I've struggled with, because I've been taught that like to even to be successful, there has to be, a, something has to be hard to almost like prove that you deserve this thing. And when that, I did the business retreat with Nikki and one of the things like Nikki and Danica were like, I know you like these business readings, but like they could just be there to like bring in extra money, but it doesn't feel like that's where you're like s- supposed to be. Like that's not your niche. And I thought that for so long, I was like, no, but that's like what everyone like likes. And that makes sense to me. And it's giving so much because my business readings, they are very energetically, they're much more energetically draining for me than the anxiety ones because I pull so, 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 so much because I'm like, oh, I want to make sure that they're getting like their money's worth of information. Um, but then when I do the anxiety ones and I told Nikki, I was like, I think it just feels weird because it's so easy. I was like, I pull the information. It takes like 30 minutes. I don't have to meditate for an hour. And I, I was like, it just feels too easy. And she was like, it's okay for it to be easy. <laughs> it's supposed to be easy when you're in yeah. flow it's easy. yes yes I yes but I've operated out of my wounded masculine my whole life all so this conditioning see that's yeah. the hard work yeah the hard work is fixing the conditioning fixing all like yeah. the yeah. stuff that we were given yes right? yes, we yes, were taught. yes so maybe that's the hard work then yeah. the rest can just be easy yeah yeah absolutely where I'm just like okay um, so, and I'm also a very, um, instant gratification person. So uh, that's been like, cause it's not, a, life isn't like that. So that's been like a new reprogramming thing in the last two, three years that I've been doing. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love all the inner work that we always have to oh, do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so when did you, when did you start writing your book and did you do it before your intuition then you, or after the intuition kind of played its part? I, I started before, I mean, I guess I had already started the journey of like intuitive stuff. Cause I, I very much viewed that when I sat down, I can remember sitting down at this um, townhouse we lived at and I was sitting on the porch in the sun. It was like, a, it was the summertime. And I was like, I feel called to write a book. I don't know really what but I feel called to write a book and I felt it was going to be about anxiety. And so I started just like writing some stuff 
And I was like, oh, I'm just going to channel what comes through. Like some of it was like, I'm going to channel, I'm going to take what I see. Like I wrote down the things that I was seeing. Um, and, uh, and I was like, okay. And so it kind of started, I was like, oh, the anxiety languages. Um, and I like ran it by, run everything by my roommate. I'm like, does this make sense? Because I know it makes sense to me. Does it make sense to somebody else? And, and then as I progressed intuitively, I've added to it. Um, and it's, I'm like adding different levels of like what I understand. Um, but yeah, I really started the book because I had that intuitive hit, like we're supposed to write a book and like, it's going to be real big and like industry, it's going to be different. Like, it's not going to be like the normal industry stuff. Um, but I've also given myself space and time. Like when I first sat down, I was like, okay, we're going to write it and we're going to like bust it out and it'll be done in like six or seven months, which is very much my energy of like when things excite me I'm like I want to do it right now and so I have to like slow myself down and um so I finished the book proposal in September which also had some like sample chapters and stuff but now I think I'm gonna go the um the self-publishing route I've just heard different things about the traditional publishing industry that I'm like "Mm, I don't know if it's like aligning as much anymore um which means I'm gonna be like finishing up the book this year to then self-publish Oh yeah. That's exciting. Yes. And so, and the book really provides an in-depth look at the anxiety languages. So, and, and anxiety as a whole. So the first chapter introduces you to anxiety and really like the reframe of it. So why anxiety comes up, the fact that it is this protective tool and the fact that we can use it in a plethora of ways. Um, because one of the big things and the reason that I want to give this book to the world is because people uh, we're, we're taught that anxiety means something that's wrong with us that it means that something is wrong with like our life or that we need to we need to you know shut it up and numb it and just get it get it the heck out of here so mm-hmm. that we can go back to business as usual but anxiety is this beautiful gift and it loves us so much and it but it loves our soul it doesn't love the identities we take on from everyone else And so it's protecting these parts of our souls and we can collaborate with it and work with it once we learn how to communicate with it. And it's so freeing to not view a part of yourself as something is wrong with it, with me, something is wrong with, with this reaction. Um, I've been explaining it like when you stub your toe, when you're walking somewhere, you stub your toe, you get a shot of pain that is so terrible. Um, and so uncomfortable, but you don't say to yourself, okay, I need to take out that nerve ending so that I don't feel this shot of pain in the future. You pivot because now you know that there was a thing in your way. So you don't walk that way anymore. And you go the way that you're meant to go instead of running your entire body into that thing, stubbing your toe, told your body, Hey, we can't walk that way. There's something there. And so that you could pivot anxiety is kind of the same way. It's like, Oh, Hey, there's something here that's blocking you. You're not, you know, go this way instead. And it allows us to pivot just on an emotional way, emotional level. And anxiety is such a multi-purpose tool. We can use it to, um, to manifest. We can use it to, as a direct way to understand what healing needs to be done. It really provides a blueprint because when you connect with your anxiety, understand the core fear, you can follow it back throughout your life and go, okay, here is a moment where this, this like, and this fear is showing up and that those moments that come to mind when you're connecting with this feeling 
are the moments that are asking to be healed. And that's where the unprocessed emotions are that are blocking you from where you want to be. So your anxiety, almost like when you say, okay, I want to have a six figure business and this is, and we're going to do this, this, and this, your anxiety goes, heard it, love that for you. Here's the emotional work to get you exactly where you want to go. Um, and manifestation wise, you're heading in a certain direction you're working towards your manifestations and your anxiety can go, oh, this doesn't align. This isn't aligning. This thing isn't aligning with your manifestation. So pivot, giving you an opportunity to pivot um, or giving you an opportunity to work through emotionally, whatever, why it doesn't align. A lot of times, like, you know, if you think of like a trigger, but there's something else that either a boundary that needs to be put in or something that needs to be worked through. And your anxiety really is like the best captain of the cheer squad, like cheering you on, but with a little bit of tough love. When it gets to the point where it's physical, you're having panic attacks, you are, um, you know, you can't sleep, you're struggling with eating, um, all that kind of stuff. That is your anxiety screaming at you because it's burnt out. And it's trying so hard to protect you, but because there's so much emotion um, and unprocessed stuff from the past, it's now struggling with like, is everything's a threat? You know, when you're, when it's being forced to be the, the Brita filter of your life. So like life goes into the Brita filter of anxiety and then cuts to you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I, I don't, it, it's operating at a capacity that's like, well, everything is anxiety. And so then you're experiencing everything through anxiety. So everything feels like a trigger. Everything feels heavy because it's just trying to protect you, but it's doing that to everything. Um, and it doesn't want to be the Brita filter for your life. Right. Times, we're not taught how to go listen. back and process things. Yeah. And listen, exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so that first chapter really breaks everything down. There's a formula for anxiety to help people understand kind of how it happens. Um, and then we go into the, um, the first like couple languages and in each chapter, each language has its own chapter. And I break down, you know, okay, this is what it's going to look like. This is the core fear. This is some of the common root causes, but I also use a case study from, um, clients that I've used the framework for, and also like sometimes my own personal life so that readers can really get a glimpse of like, here's what it looked like beforehand. And here's once you learn how to collaborate and communicate and here are the tools for collaboration and communication, this is what the end result is. And this is what it might feel like because a lot of people, when we've grown up with anxiety, we don't know what it feels like to just experience like happiness, joy, and peace. So we don't know what we're working towards. We're just aimlessly like, I just know I don't wanna feel this way anymore. Um, right. just yeah, so overwhelmed. Yes, exactly. So I break all that stuff down. Um, there are worksheets in it. Um, there are like tips you can try right now. And then the, the later chapters, the ending chapters really break down like the tools, um, different mindsets and, um, and just some like extra good juicy stuff for, for working with anxiety. Oh, I'm really excited for when it's done. Thank you. I'm you. like, Thank you. yeah, I'm like, that's going to be on my read list for sure. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I love thankful. all the information that you have put out with like your Instagram and everything. Like it's very informative and it resonates when I hear something that I'm like, yes, that's true. My body tells me and my intuition yeah. tells me. And I'm like, I completely trust that this is coming from a good source. Thank so you. Yes. Yes. It's, I yeah. thank you. definitely feel that it's aligned. Mm-hmm. And I loved my reading I got from you. Yay, it was good. So I good. And like, good. 
you have such a strong intuition and it's so clear. And I love how you were able to really pinpoint the ages and why certain yeah. anxiety um, triggers or yes. starts. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, it like it was, it all really resonated with me. And even when I didn't fully remember it instantly, yes, it came that to was you. It, it was there and I knew exactly what yeah. it was. Yeah. So it was so accurate. It was good. so I, I'm so glad. I love the anxiety readings. I'm like, I, they, they, it's interesting talking about them because some, sometimes I get information that I'm like, that's really intimate. I hope, like, I'm like, okay. But I, I've made um, a promise with myself when I started doing readings just in Soul Teacher. I was like, I will communicate whatever I see. Like, if that is what they're being shown, it's like, I, I am just, a, I'm the vessel. So I got to do the thing of being the vessel. <laughs> That's um, the hard I'm, part. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, but thank you. I'm, I love doing them. So they, they're a real like gift. Um, so I'm glad you enjoyed yours. <laughs> oh, it was and you can tell that not only do you like it, mm -hmm. but it's really, it's really aligned with what you're supposed to do mm -hmm. because like it just, the way it flows, the way it feels, the, how much information you get. And it just, yeah. it feels it, it doesn't feel forced. It feels yeah. very natural. Yeah. And yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank I really you. Like that. Thank you. It was really, really good. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm doing, um, I, so a lot of people right now are struggling with like inner child stuff in this mm -hmm. new year. It's just kind of the energy. Um, and so I've, I'm doing a, a free workshop this, uh, this week on anxiety and, and the inner child. Yes. Um, I signed up. <laughs> Oh, good, good, good. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it'll be super good. So I like, but I'm excited because that's just another layer of here's how anxiety can be a tool and how we can use it. And I'm very, yeah. So it's just, I do feel very aligned with anxiety. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm kind of becoming the personal PR rep for anxiety. I didn't mean to, but like I tell people, I'm like, I love anxiety and anxiety loves you in a great uplifting way that you don't know yet. <laughs> yeah. Like I love how you see it from a different light. Yeah. And, Cause when you start explaining it, I'm just like, oh yeah, it feels like anxiety is just the soul talking to you. But yeah. when it starts talking to you, it's just a whisper. It's yeah. quiet yes. and it's louder and louder and louder until it takes over your life because you're not listening. Yes, exactly. Like, oh. Yes. Yeah. And it's protecting a part of your soul. So a lot of the times, like in the readings, what I get is like, what part of your soul is it protecting? Mm -hmm. Um, I just did, I just, I actually just did, um, the inner child healing meditation that I'm going to be doing at the workshop, I did it for myself. Cause I was feeling, I woke up feeling like anxious and heavy and my normal go-tos weren't really working. Um, and I was like, I was able to see the part of my like soul that was being protected um, by my anxiety and like my, the inner child that it's protecting. Cause our anxiety is protecting a past version of ourself as well. So it was really transformative and it moves a lot of emotions when we connect to our anxiety that way, as opposed to being like, this is your fault and I need you to not exist anymore. <laughs> right. It's yeah. like, look at it, move through it instead of ignore it because you can't yeah. ignore it forever. Yeah. When I tell people, would you ever tell yourself like, oh, I don't want to feel like happiness anymore. Like mm -hmm. anxiety is just an emotion. And if you think about, I talk about one of my big things where I struggle a little bit more with 
advising people to go on medication. Like if it is an extreme situation, I was like, yes, I think medication would be helpful for you for this period of time to help you kind of get through this really like low point. But a lot of medications make people feel euphoric. And in the beginning, you're like, wow, yes, I should. It was the right choice to be medicated. I feel so great. But what ends up happening is eventually you build that resistance to it or because you're feeling euphoric all the time and you're not feeling anything else, you don't notice that euphoric just feels like the baseline. So then you need more to feel even more euphoric. Like it just creates this cycle. But also if we only felt euphoric all the time, we would have no idea that it's euphoric. Like we would have no idea because there's no other emotions coming in. Um, And so then imagine essentially like your foot goes numb. So you don't feel yourself stub the toe. So that pain is temporarily gone, but now you're running into things or it's like your foot could be cut and you have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. Like a numbing thing. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. I was on medication for a couple of years because I wasn't in a place where I could manage it. I didn't yes. have the tools. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, but once I got the tools, then I just like tested the waters, reducing yeah. dose, testing yes. see if it worked, and like yeah. eventually, you know, weaned yeah. off. But yeah. like when you don't have the tools, you know. Yes. You know, but- Yes. Medication is great and it helps people. And, but if you're not doing it with therapy, you're only treating the symptoms and not the root cause. So when you don't have Mm -hmm. access to the medication, that means you're barreling out and it's going to feel super intense because sometimes life circumstances change and you don't know that you'll always have access to that medication anyway. Well, like, yeah. And the tools are the most important part. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I love that. Um, for do you have anything planned in the next little while? Like, do you have any like uh, either like a new offering or new courses or just are you focusing on the book? What's your plan so, for the next year? The next year? Okay. So I'll the choose, next you choose. Oh, okay. Months, um, year, I'll just months. go with the short. The next year, I'm trying to do it in shorter terms that I'm not like ah. Um, I am working on the book, but I'm letting myself do it at a slower pace where I'm just focusing on like, let me finish writing. And then I'll, you know, focus on like the publishing piece of it. Um, But really coming up, I'm focusing on doing more and more anxiety readings um, because it's something I absolutely love to do. And then also I, the, I have the workshop this week, but it's also kind of an introduction to, I will be doing a anxiety and inner child healing four week course. Um, that's going to be really in depth. So every, all the information that you get at the workshop is going to be like, it's like a sneak peek to this four week course. And the four week course is really for people who are like, I know that I have this inner child stuff to do and I am ready and like to do it. And cause it is going to move a lot of emotions. Um, essentially each week you, it's a 30 day program. So you do the day you do this meditation um, every single day, but along with it, there's different things each week to focus on. Um, each week has a different healing as well. So, um, and it'll like close out with a soul retrieval, a version of a, a mini soul retrieval and a, a mini like former self so that you can let that inner child go. Um, but it's really giving you all of the support, the resources and tools 
to use your anxiety so that the inner child work doesn't feel so scary and, and lonely. Um, there will be, you know, it'll be a live course. So I'm very, very excited, oh, awesome. um, but I'm currently working on it now. It will be offered in February. I'm not sure the specific date yet. It will depend on when I finish filming and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's coming down the pipeline. Um, and yeah, those are the pretty much two focuses right now, besides the the anxiety readings and the course. And then like, I I'm doing the book too. Um, and I have other business like plans for the year, but those are going to be much, much slower. Um, so one of the things is that I am designing a, a physical product that specifically uses, um, you know, herbs and different things, but you also get like a therapeutic strategy to help get to the using the herbs that but not just to treat the feeling but to actually allow you to get to the root of it like using what the herb is going to give you whether that's like oh I, this helps me feel calm for example um this helps the body feel calm okay let's use that like you feeling calm from this herb and do this activity and that's going to help you start to treat the root cause as opposed to just numbing the physical symptoms um Yes. So I will, I'm working, but that's much slower. (laughs) I love that. It's like the holistic approach. It's like not just having it, treating it on multi-levels, not just the one single level. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So those are the the big, the big picture stuff that I'm breaking down into smaller, into smaller um, increments this year, Mm -hmm. figuring it out. (laughs) That's beautiful. Thank you. And as a final question, I just want to know who do you look up to the most for either personal or business? Who's the person or people, if you have a couple that you really inspire to be, or there's a part of them that you inspire to be? That, that is a hard question for me. Um, I'm always, so I try to find inspiration everywhere. Um, I guess if I frame it, like, who do I like aspire to be as opposed to who just inspires me? Um, so business wise, Nikki is like a really big, like inspiration for me and constantly like motivates me, but also nurtures me in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know. I I'm trying to think of uh, other people, I guess, like, cause I do my, my friends and my family, uh, especially like my daughter and my best friend and like my, um, my whole, like my mom's side of the family and my siblings and stuff, they challenge me, which is always kind of inspiring. Um, and I also kind of feel called to say myself, like my, like the past versions of myself, the younger versions of myself, because they have gotten through every single really hard and heavy hitting thing that we've ever experienced or that I've ever experienced. And one of the things that I've always been able to do is alchemize what you would say, like the darkness that I have experienced in my life and into something like light and beautiful. Um, And I hope to continue to bring that to other people is really what I would want to share. because life can feel really heavy. So I'll stick with, I'll stick with those answers. That was a hard question for me. I love that you chose yourself. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, 
yeah, I definitely see you as being this being that can transmute the, yeah. the low into the high. And it's not just you physically changing the energy. It's just you yeah. changing the focus and changing the yeah. perspective so that the energy can change itself. Yeah. Yeah. I never feel like it's me like doing the things. It's just like me holding space. And, um, I don't know, like my energy helps all of a sudden, like ignite something in other people. Um, which it was funny. Cause that actually came up in my journaling with the, my inner child was just the, the superpower that I have works really well with darkness because mm-hmm. it helps to, to change it. Um, and so I look at, you know, when I was growing up, some of the things that I'd experienced, I was able to turn into to gold, so to speak, like turn into something that motivated me, that took me farther. So, and I want to, I love doing that for other people. I love giving people light bulb moments. So. Oh, I love that. That's the best feeling when like yes. you can ignite something in somebody else. Yes, exactly. Cause I see so much greatness in every single person, even if it's a person I don't like love to be around. Mm-hmm. And I get so excited when they finally start to see that themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much yes, for talking with me today. Yes, I love getting to know you a little bit more. Yes. And I can't wait to see what else you do. I'm so excited Thank for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Make sure to check out the show notes. I have... Anna Marie's website, her podcast, her email, her Instagram, and her TikTok all on there so you guys can follow her, you can contact her, you can book a session with her. She is amazing and I'm so thankful that we were able to talk today.